you are now listening to the North Side Sox podcast. This is a partner podcast of the South Side Sox podcast network. I am Janice Scurrio coming to you from beautiful Evanston, Illinois. With me is my co-host, the one and only Sam Sherman. Yes. How's it going, Sam? It's going pretty going pretty uh pretty good so far and I say so far cuz it seems like, you know, you can wake up in the morning as a Sox fan feeling pretty good or somebody that covers the team. Uh, and then, you know, who knows what can happen as the day develops, um, uh, especially recently. But I would say all things considered, uh, doing, doing pretty, pretty fine on this Saturday morning. So thinking about the title of this episode, uh, the one thing that I texted you earlier this week was, it can't get any worse, right? It can't. It absolutely can't. <laughs> And so before we started the episode, uh, Sam, you noticed a pattern in our episode. So our first episode, we were kind of like, no way. There's no way this Tony La Russa hire is going to happen. It's mainly due to the sheer absurdity of it and how it sounded at the time. Uh, honestly, I mean, it's still absurd. I say at the time because I feel as if I've bought into it somehow. I, I, I feel as if we're all trying to lean in. We're all trying to accept this. We're all trying to acknowledge this new reality, but admittedly it's getting harder. It's getting absolutely harder every time. So our last episode, we talked a little bit about uh, the problematic tones behind the hire. And uh, at the end, I believe we came to the conclusion that, right, that this is our new reality. This is what we're gonna have to deal with from here on out. And now we come to our third episode where we're just unpacking as best as we can. Uh, we're trying to take two steps forward, but the most recent Larusa news is absolutely just kind of pushing us like up the escalator. I don't know if that's a good metaphor for it, but anyway, I feel as if I was right about this. And this is one of the things that you don't want to be right about. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we were also discussing was that this hire might deter potential free agents and a few people laughed at me i'm not going to call those people out uh, for their privacy uh, but marcus stroman admitted uh, publicly in a text that he would not play for la Russa and that no sum of money was going to make a difference so with this new uh, this new uh, news LaRusso was charged with a DUI yet again a day before he was hired as the White Sox manager. And according to the arrest affidavit, he blew out a tire on an Arizona highway and showed a blood alcohol level of 0.09 above the legal limit of 0.08. So uh, this was LaRusso's second arrest on a DUI charge. Um, So his last one was um, spring 2007 while he was uh, managing the Cardinals. Uh, And uh, yeah, the White Sox said that they were aware of the arrest, uh, but they went through with it anyway. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, and the White Sox at this point show no inclination to backpedal on this uh, and hire him a a second time, uh, despite the DUI. So Sam, your thoughts on uh, the developing mess this is, is becoming. 
So I think uh, going back to the to the Marcus Stroman news for a second, I thought that that was interesting how you put it in, in as far as the, the sequence of events where he had had the tweet about no amount of money, you know, would would make him would have him play for the White Sox or get him to play for the White Sox. And then, of course, he, he accepted the qualifying offer, ending all, you know, ending all hopes of Stroman to the Sox. But the reason that that sequence is interesting and important how he said it is because I think that a lot of times with free agency, when when fans talk about, you know, detractions or I don't know if that's the right word of, of why a player would come and play for a team, um, people always say, well, you know, money's over everything. These guys, you know, if you offer enough money, that's that's kind of like the equalizer in free agency. Um, and this was a case where not only did Stroman accept a qualifying offer from the Mets and, and you know, not obviously sign with the White Sox, uh, but he actually went on the record and said that no amount of money would do it. So we, so as you said, uh, it is, it, it's no longer a question of if it's going to um, turn away free agents. It literally has turned away at least one major free agent, um, someone that was on, I'd really right at the top of both of our lists uh, when we spoke about who was on our wish lists earlier in the season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's always hard to say, you know, maybe, maybe Stroman had additional information where he felt like he couldn't get that out on the market, which that's possible. But again, he's a very, you know, he's a, a very outspoken player as far as um, a lot of different issues. And, and for him to come out and say that, um, you know, it's not something his agent probably wanted him to say, but the fact that he came out and said it, there's, there's probably quite a bit of truth to it. So um, that was, that was on the baseball front of it, obviously uh, quite, quite an issue to start out. But again, uh, it just goes to this whole thing where I found that I kind of, I'm having a hard time with the whole idea of people talking about LaRusa's potential impact on the team positively Um, only because well, a lot of reasons, but for me, it's like, and, and I know you've gone through the same thing where it's where people will say, well, you know what, maybe, um, maybe Larusa can change his, his thoughts about different modern baseball and all this. And, and maybe he will have an impact with his credentials and, um, and, and the, the White Sox will be better for him, for it, for him having been the manager. And honestly, I think that's still entirely possible if we're talking strictly about wins and losses and, and talking about, potential player development or whatever the case may be. But I think that the larger point is that for you and me, and I think a lot of White Sox fans that we saw over the last week, it's not about uh, just the wins and losses. We know that, you know, um, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and this, this sort of um, the, all the new ideology that this front office has taken over the last several years of, of their drafting methods and their scouting and all of that. We knew that this team was, was on the right track as far as wins and losses. We saw last season. Um, what what that kind of culminated to and, and what we can continue to see. But I want to watch this team in good conscience. We've been very fortunate as White Sox fans uh, to watch the White Sox, obviously not as much good baseball, but we've certainly been able to watch them in pretty good conscience. It's been likable players. There haven't, hasn't been um, a ton of, you know, overwhelming controversy in any kind of way. Um, we haven't had to watch Aroldis Chapman, you know, pitching in a World Series game and, and play the mental gymnastics um, that I'm sure a lot of Cub fans had to do when that happened. Um, but now we are entering this territory where we're going to a, what should should have been a slam dunk of a 2021 season across the board. Um, and it's really, really icky. It's really, really tough uh, to to kind of go into it. So again, it's sort of like separating this idea of 
oh, we'll focus, you know, and we saw what the, what the, the poor uh, public relations department had to continually send out about, you know, we'll focus on the players on the field, focus on the players on the field. We're going to talk about that today. There's plenty of positive things if we're talking about the players on the field, but um, I don't, I don't, what I, what I realize is happening is that they are accepting the decision made by Jerry Reinsdorf because they don't have any, you know, choice in the matter and trying to just continue the messaging, which is, well, this is still an exciting team. And I don't think anyone's debating that. Unfortunately, um, there's more to it for a lot of fans than just, you know, is the team good or, or is the team fun um, because of, of this story that has now overtaken some really legitimately exciting stories, uh, not only with the White Sox, but in baseball in general. Um, that's just been a, a really um, an unforced error, an unforced distraction uh, for this team. So, yeah, we're, I mean, I don't know, as I sit here today, as we sit here today, I don't know, um, you know, where, where my mind's going to go as far as can, maybe a, a second processing, uh, second, you know, processing time or whatever. Um, but we'll see. It, it, this, this is tough. It's, it's really tough. We know that the White Sox said that they're not going to comment any more publicly on it until the, um, until the case is resolved. Um, due process. Due process. Due process yeah. Um, uh, people need to realize that uh, that does not have to do with employment uh, as far as <laughs> employment opportunities. Um, you know, Tony Larusa has gotten due process in the past. He's going to get due process now. Um, that due process has nothing to do with one's uh, employment status or opportunities that are awarded to them. So, <laughs> with that being said, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just it's a tough spot for, for Sox fans. It's a tough spot for the organization who largely we know um, from not only reports, but also just across the board does not agree with the decision that was made by their owner, but is the decision that was made. So now we have to sit with it. Precisely. And uh, just thinking about the situation altogether and uh, just looking at it as is, he had a couple of drinks. He knowingly got behind the wheel. Whoever was with him, let him get behind the wheel. And so there's plenty of problematic tones all around. So uh, let me just be clear for one moment and say, there's no context in which drunk driving is acceptable. Like if you know you're impaired, like if you know you shouldn't have, you shouldn't get behind the wheel, it's on you to call an Uber, to call a cab, call a lift, you know, just call a pedicab, just like, like, like do whatever, just do not get behind the wheel. And someone with his type of money, his, I guess, Hall of Famer baseball status, God, uh, yeah. <laughs> should know better, or at least like have people look out for him and be like, hey, um, is Uncle Tony okay? Um, like, like, do not let him get behind the wheel. So yeah, there's plenty of blame to go around here, I think. Uh, there's plenty of uh, sucky parties all around, I feel, in this situation. But I think at this point, uh, we can't really dismiss this as being a one-off mistake. You know, he's a grown-ass man. Like, he should absolutely know better. He's 76, for crying out loud. Uh, yeah, I, I don't feel as if this is just like a one-off thing uh, at this point. This is serial behavior, and who knows if this is going to happen again. 
And I saw this really fantastic tweet from my friend. Let me just pull this up really quickly. I retweeted it last night. So uh, my good friend uh, Bradford Davis said that the best way to support Tony Larusa is by helping him get treatment so he doesn't kill somebody, including himself. And I believe this is the core issue uh, here uh, and probably the reason why I'm having so much trouble with this hire as well as a lot of people is that it's life and death. Drunk driving affects people. I'm sure um, a lot of people listening to this uh, have been affected by drunk driving in one way or another. Uh, and it absolutely sucks. It's absolutely preventable is the other thing too. So uh, at this point, uh, I, I feel as if a lot of the problems I have with uh, having him uh, at, the, at the head of this team is, uh, yeah, just thinking of just all of the horrible uh, implications that, that this has. So I don't know, just the fact that we have to do a second buy-in process, uh, yeah. this shouldn't be the case. This absolutely shouldn't be the case. And so I said earlier this week in a tweet that uh, it's not too late to, uh, to have the Sox admit, hey, look, we fucked up on this one. That's mm -hmm. our bad. Uh, here you go. Here's Sandy Alomar Jr. Here's Curtis <laughs> Branderson. Uh, it, it's not too late. Here's Sam Fold. You're just like, mm -hmm. ah. I, you just admit that you screwed this one up. Backpedal. Everything is going to be A-OK -okay from here on out. Yeah, and and I think you know going back to this the the DUI uh, the second DUI and, and you talk about how it it's not a one off it's not a one time mistake kind of thing because it literally isn't I mean as you said this being his second DUI um, this being a situation where you know and I read a lot there was a lot of stories that you know on social media and people sharing their stories of either how they've been impacted they've lost people to drunk driving or have themselves gotten DUIs earlier in their lives. And I found it interesting where a lot of these people were, that were writing about it were saying, you know, when they were younger, they got a DUI, they are ashamed of it. And since that time, they would never dream, never dream, they would never even think about um, getting behind the wheel with even a sip of beer or whatever the case may be. It's almost like they learned from their mistakes. Um, the difference, you know, obviously with, with Tony LaRussa getting behind the wheel uh, at this point of his life, uh, you know, having had uh as whether you know whether bob nightingale thinks that um having you know two or three glasses of wine is uh, uh, yeah whatever that's serious oh yeah but it's it's just with bob i think we all do though so. yeah yeah there was a lot of a lot of issues there um but i think i just think that as far as this was someone who and i think i texted you this earlier this week where it's somebody who ultimately um, the, you know, people can say, well, how could he, you know, how could he do this again? How could he, um, how could he have gotten in a car having, uh, having drank and, and with the potential of getting pulled? Because if you're Tony LaRussa, you know that if you get pulled over uh, and if you, uh, if, if, or he, I, mean, I guess he wasn't pulled over, but he was standing out next to his, his car that after running into a curb, but either way, if you get arrested or if you get charged, um, it has no impact on potential employment opportunities. And how do we know that he knows that? Because we're seeing it play out right now. We're seeing what happens when somebody like Tony LaRusso flashes his uh, World Series rings. And that's the thing is people were joking about like, well, obviously, you know, he didn't uh, flashing his World Series rings. 
uh, you know, didn't get him out of this, this uh, arrest. And, uh, you know, I guess it didn't, but it, what it, what it, what it did is it allowed him to continue to be employed um, by the, by the Chicago White Sox, uh, because that's exactly the reason that in Jerry Reinsdorf's mind, um, he deserves to, that he's really forced this in because of his World Series credentials, um, also being obviously friends with Jerry Reinsdorf. But it's just a mess all around. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess the good thing, though, is that we do have some positive things to talk about. We do. We on do. This show. <laughs> um, I, I still have a couple of more. Yes, please. So I, I mentioned a little bit before that. Uh, LaRusse's previous DUI arrest, and I can't believe I have to say previous DUI mm -hmm. arrest. Oh, holy shit. This is, like, you're just, this is so incredibly awful. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, his DUI arrest came five weeks before Josh Hancock, a Cardinals pitcher, yep. died when he drove drunk and crashed into a parked truck. So yeah, this is the kind of leadership that like we're potentially going to see. And so uh, I'm reading right from the Jeff Passan story, by the way. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how Jeff Passan got this tip, too. Um, but on the day of his guilty plea to the 2007 DUI, Larissa said in a statement, I accept full responsibility for my conduct and assure everyone that I have learned a very valuable lesson and that this will never occur again. <laughs> yeah. What the hell, dude? Yeah, I mean... Uh, again, it's like that all sounded really good in 2007. Uh, doesn't look so good at the moment. <laughs> all right. So uh, this story by Jeff Passan uh, came out on November 9th. Mm -hmm. uh, so apparently he got the tip because uh, his DMs are open to anyone. Uh, you don't have to follow him or he doesn't have to follow you in order for you to DM him. And uh, I saw in, in a video that he does that essentially so someone can give him tips about like anything. And so apparently someone slid into Jeff Passan's DMs <laughs> and gave him this tip. So uh, I, I don't like speculating. I, 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 well, actually I do. I actually do like speculating. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie on this podcast. <laughs> But uh, there's been lots of talk in White Sox land about who possibly gave him this tip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, based on the reactions uh, or the, the reports of the organization, the White Sox organization being um, kind of flabbergasted by the hire and frustrated by the hire. Uh, yeah, it certainly rightfully could. So. Rightfully so. Yeah, rightfully yeah. so. Um, it seems plausible. It seems it seems possible that uh that this leak could have come from somebody in the organization uh who i you know i don't know but uh i will say I, this is just a side note on jeff passan i something i really like about him is he is it, specifically when he like whenever i've seen him on you know in interviews or doing like spots on espn or, or anything like that or on the radio he's so theatrical uh i don't know if you've noticed that he's got this it's almost like and I, I wonder, and I actually am curious, I wonder his, I don't know much about his background, but I wonder if he was like um, in performing arts or if he like did, you know, plays or something growing up or he had an interest in that because he's got this like very, he's a good storyteller while he's talking about his stories. He's a very like theatrical speaker. I don't know if that makes sense, but I just always seem to notice that with Jeff Passan. <laughs> yeah, he, he's got some interesting comedic timing. Yes. 
uh, yeah, uh, so so that actually was like one of um, the first times I have um, kind of seen him talk off off the cusp uh, in in that video. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you there. He, he's he's <laughs> very entertaining. Very yes, entertaining. Um, and he got quite a, a big story here, uh, definitely from his DMs. Um, <laughs> but uh... but anyway, regardless <laughs> of who sent him the tip whether it was um, Rick Hahn, bless his heart, or, uh, not in the passive aggressive Southern way, but like, like literally. Like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> the dude has, the dude is going through it. So like, I don't know, I, I've never been a Han bot really, but uh, I, I feel for him. I, I feel yeah. like, like having been completely stepped over before and having my toes stepped on professionally, that's a story for another day. I totally get Rick Hahn's frustration. Uh, so let's move on to kind of um, the uh, really underwhelming statement the White Sox uh, offered yeah. in response to this whole this whole debacle. And I believe uh, uh, Herb Lawrence described it as milk toast, and I I very much so agree. The White Sox basically said that they were waiting for due process. Um, but in the case of that, like, what happens if he is found guilty? Like, like, what happens there? Like, does that mean that they're going to fire him? Does that mean that um, they're going to release another statement explaining why they're keeping him, despite mm -hmm. just the obvious, like, like negligence that, that that's currently happening here? Uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of at a loss at just how this has been handled by the White Sox in general. So. Well, and also on that point, it's like, okay, so if there's two options, if he's either found guilty or innocent when after due process and everything, uh, yeah, so if, if he's found guilty, then do the White Sox condone drunk driving? Or excuse me, condemn, rather, condemn drunk driving? If he's found guilty... Yeah, do they do they then say, well, he's going through treatment or this? If he's innocent, is he, do they no do they no longer uh, do they not still not condemn drunk driving? Slash, do they not say that he's going through treatment? Because the fact is, is I don't really know how the the process the due process works with this kind of a thing, but we do know that Tony Larusa, uh, you know. Uh, his blood alcohol level was what a 0.09 or whatever the you know the oh, it was over the legal limit. It seems like a clear cut thing to me. Um, either way, and we also know that he had a he's had a DUI uh, in the past as, as we've been talking about. And you know you have to think too. There's probably a lot of times. I'm almost positive there's a lot of times he's gotten behind the wheel and just not gotten caught um, yeah. having having uh, drank and then drove. Um, so again, I don't understand push why their next public comments don't come out until the case is resolved. Because quite frankly, I don't know what unless the unless the guilty verdict means that they're getting that they're going to let him go. I don't know how that impacts a public statement, and I do wonder if they've thought about that. Um, and when I say they, I again, I'm not saying that these people deserve to be thrown into this situation because it's tough to spin, uh, you know, one one man's uh, decision. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I guess as I'm just thinking about it now, I, I don't know why it's it's challenging for them to, number one, make some kind of a statement other than saying that it's serious. Um, you know, a lot of things are serious, but that doesn't speak on how an, a, a sports organization or any organization feels about that. Um, it's like saying nothing, as you said. 
Um, and yeah, and I just, again, if he's guilty and then they say he's going through treatment or something, I'm just speculating what they might say. Does that, does that not happen if he's innocent? Because what does that mean? And, and so it, we're just walking continually into just this extended uh, mess of a, of a situation. Right. And uh, just, I guess, thinking from a legal standpoint, and uh, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I did uh, make it to finals in a high school mock trial. <laughs> but other than that, I like I, I know next to nothing about the legal system. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think condemning drunk driving is really an admission of guilt there. Uh, I'm just trying to think of, oh, well, they, they probably are avoiding the phrase drunk driving like the plague sure because uh yeah that could potentially um harm harm him in court uh but i, I don't know I, I don't think that's an admission of guilt at all i think it's definitely very serious i think the uh, allegations and i use that term loosely are very serious too and uh yeah it, it, it would look so much better if they just said that drunk driving is a serious matter uh, and yeah, the fact that they just said so little in like in just such a short statement, it's, mm-hmm. it's unacceptable to me. It's absolutely unacceptable. And I mean, just thinking of a lot of the other um, designated driving uh, uh, initiatives that they have during the ball, like during ball games mm-hmm. too, uh, they don't want you to get behind the wheel after you've had a couple. Definitely, like take a take the L or uh, take the Metra or uh, call an Uber. There are so many alternative like transportation methods that they're talking about like during the course of a ball game and for them to kind of uh, sit flat on this, I don't know. It, it feels like everything, it, it's all bullshit to me. It, it feels yeah. as if just like without condemning it w- without just kind of like firmly putting that statement out there. It seems like everything else that they talk about when it comes to designated driving and getting home safely, I don't know. It, it, it all just seems kind of you know, lip service to me. Yeah, and, and you have to wonder too, if they even put out that statement at all, again, the statement that said nothing, uh, without the, without the um, outcry from the fan base and from the media uh, for some kind of a statement, because it took a couple of days before they even put out a statement saying that they weren't gonna comment on it until you know further information. Um, and it sort of seems like unless there was that outcry, they probably were just going to continue rolling along. Um, I mean, again, unless, unless, uh, Jeff Passon's report comes out, there's a very real chance. We don't know. We still don't know about this. Um, you know, which speaks to, which a whole lot of other things come out as, as far as questions there. And we could get, we could do an entire series of podcasts on the whole process of, of that, where, you also wonder in the press conference, you know, you want to get ahead of stories generally. I've never been in, in public relations, but from what I understand, it's good to do that. Um, they did have an opportunity because they hired him, obviously, the day after the, the charge um, and they knew about it. You wonder if they could have just, you know, maybe put out a state. You know what? Actually put out the statement that, that they put out a couple of days ago, the day of the hire and just say, we this happened. We're not going to comment on it until uh until the trial or whatever you know um or the resolution but that's not what they did they they tried to cover it up um and that's you know that's when you that's when you pretty much double and triple down on the already bad situation that they found themselves in but hey at least there's an exciting young core of players on the field (laughs) 
All right, so hopefully this is the last time uh, we will ever have to discuss this. Like I said at the beginning of this episode that, I don't know, that something new seems to just make it worse. It, it, it's sort of like just like an ever-growing nightmare. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, like what Bradford Davis said, if he does not get the help he needs, he's going to end up killing someone, perhaps even himself. And that's mm-hmm. the bottom line on all of this. So, uh, so yeah, so let, let's move on to <laughs> some better news. Uh, so, uh, Sam, you wrote about uh, backup teams to root for once the Sox <laughs> inevitably fall into hell. So, uh, I'm also a Milwaukee Brewers fan, but they're not without fault either. They just axed their entire social media team, uh, run by a woman. Uh, so, I'm a little, uh, yeah, pretty much every MLB team carries some sort of problematic air once you really think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, it, it gets hard. It, it really gets hard, and uh, it's just kind of part of the process of compartmentalizing as uh, a major league baseball fan. Uh, so, so yeah. Sam, do you have a do you have a problematic second team? Um, I think that you know, and and I I don't want to I don't want to do too much of a, uh, a spoiler here, but I, and I'll just say it, and then we'll talk about it in a few minutes. But I, I think I might roll with the Marlins, depending on how all this uh, develops, as far as the White Sox saga, because the Marlins, uh, you know, as and they are not out of this as well. Every team has faults from from the past or present or future, like the White Sox. Um, uh, but uh, but we like to see teams um, kind of do things that are that are actually progressive or make attempts or efforts to do things that should have been done um, far earlier than they were. Um, but the Marlins did one of those things. Uh, and, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know if we want to, if we have to take a break before we really dive into it, I'm not really sure because I do want to make sure we have a whole lot of time to talk about this, but, uh, I know you're, you're our, our timekeeper here. So. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Before we talk about the exciting news, uh, that is the hire of uh, Kim Ng, mm-hmm. Ng is the way you pronounce her. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Wonderful. Cool. I was basing that off the author Celesting. So uh, <laughs> that is uh, where I got that intel from, uh, just by <laughs> that power of deduction there. Uh, but yeah, before we talk about the awesome and amazing decision that is the hire of Kimming, uh, here is a, a couple of words from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. <laughs> you are listening to the second half of the Northside Sox podcast. I'm Janice Scurrio t- coming to you uh, from my kitchen. Uh, with me also via the Zoomies is Sam Sherman. Uh, Sam, uh, so we're talking about uh, Kimming is baseball's first female general manager, first Asian American uh, general manager. 
so yeah, not only that, um, she is also the first general manager of any of the four major men's uh, sports leagues, which is incredibly cool. Uh, she has 30 plus years of experience. And I guess uh, not to put a damper on this whole thing immediately, but she certainly should should have been hired sooner. She was absolutely oh, yeah. qualified from the get-go. Uh, she's been interviewed six times uh, prior to this hire. Uh, but other than that, she's got such an impressive resume, uh, eight postseason appearances, three rings. So uh, just incredibly decorated, uh, just a, a fantastic uh, baseball mind. Uh, and yeah, I'm super excited for the Marlins. Mm -hmm. So as you said, uh, maybe, you know, I, I might be aboard uh, the Marlins ship as well. Mm -hmm. uh, they've got an, a pretty cool, exciting team too. Uh, they've got my favorite former brewer, Jesus Aguilar. Oh, yes. Uh, so <laughs> there, there's definitely a lot of uh, things the Marlins have going on for them. Uh, so a little bit more about Kim. Uh, she's actually got White Sox roots. Mm -hmm. uh, so she was hired by the White Sox as an intern after graduating from the University of Chicago and was hired full-time in 1991 and became special project became the special, special project analyst before being promoted to assistant director of baseball operations uh, under then uh, GM Ron Schuyler in, in 1995. So uh, yeah, she's been around for a while. She's got so much experience uh, and she was also the youngest person and first woman to present a salary arbitration case uh, in the major leagues for Alex Fernandez and she won so yeah she she's awesome she's super cool um Sam your thoughts yeah it's 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 uh you know everyone in the baseball world is going to and in sports world and even outside of that is going to be reading over the next you know the coming weeks and days and weeks and and everything about how really incredibly cool this is because it is um and as you as you noted uh it, it you know I, again i'm gonna i'm gonna say a couple of things here that I, I know that to you and i uh we know these things but unfortunately these things do have to be laid out i think it's important too which is as you noted um pretty pretty wild that someone with uh with her qualifications uh that it's that it's taken this long um for for a team to um to to hire her to to run their, their operations and then be a general manager um additionally i think you look at her being a woman and, and a woman of color uh to have gotten you know to have gotten to this point that she has and even before this um moving up through baseball uh at the time that she entered baseball you know we talk about think about we you know again how incredibly above and beyond she had to be over you know male uh, white, basically a bunch of white guys to get to the point that she is, because we know that her being a woman and a woman of color, she had to, unfortunately, as things are set up societally, she had to work even harder and be even more impressive uh, than than her counterparts um, to get to uh, to get to this point. Um, it's really incredible. Um, she's again, if anyone that reads her qualifications and reads her. Her, uh, her history as far as in baseball she's been around a long time um, you, you're probably you'll probably read it like Janice like you were just reading it and people reading that uh, and and wonder why this didn't happen earlier um, and I also think it's important to say that there's going to be a lot of eyes on how she you know on her on her decisions and her and the way that she um, operates the the Marlins and and the moves that she makes and the trades and the signings and all that um, 
just out of curiosity. And I'm sure there's going to be an unfortunate number of people that are going to be skeptical because of you know, very um, <laughs> bad reasons. Uh, but I, one thing that I guess I thought about this morning when I was sort of thinking more about the, the hire is that while um, I'll certainly be rooting for her, you'll be rooting for her, we'll all be rooting for her, uh, a lot of baseball people will, sports fans, um, hopefully she has success. But if she doesn't have success immediately, or quite frankly, if she doesn't have success uh, a little bit down the road, um, then she should be afforded the same privileges that many uh, subpar general managers have been given in, yep. in sports, not only baseball, but beyond. Um, yeah. And one thing I'm also afraid of is, uh, yeah, if, if she does make um, some questionable decisions or maybe a trade that doesn't necessarily work out in favor of the Marlins, uh, she's probably going to be met with even more scrutiny yes. and more criticism than a lot of her uh, male counterparts might. Uh, and so uh, just a quick note, uh, just being an Asian American female myself, uh, in not one, but two male-dominated fields, I can definitely attest that, yeah, you have to work twice as hard to be considered just as good. And a lot of the times, uh, yeah, you're met with a lot of, um, you're here because you're a woman, you're, you're here because uh, you're, you're obviously the token diversity hire. And that's damaging to hear. That, that, that's honestly like incredibly damaging to hear, uh, just mainly because you think more about your identity and how other people see you based on that identity rather than your actual ability. And so uh, it, it ends up just uh, as a woman of color, you end up questioning yourself. You end up developing um, this kind of imposter syndrome and wondering why the hell you're here in the first place if you're just going to be met with um, this like constant opposition and constant like qu questioning of your credentials and whatnot. But uh, yeah, maybe this is a, a sign of the times changing. Uh, I am sure that, uh, yeah, uh, Kim's career is going to be absolutely fantastic. Um, I will I su support her to the fullest degree. Uh, it's really great to see one of our own out there uh, as an Asian American woman. But uh, yeah, I, I have a I have this nagging feeling that, yeah, she probably might run into criticism later in her career and probably early early too so. and thank you for your perspective on that uh i think it's important that people listen to that and, and understand that like again I, I just i keep going back to this idea where you know this is not the first um this is absolutely not the first woman uh who is qualified for the position of a major league general manager um there are and and it makes you also realize that uh, maybe you know a lot of people have known this a lot of people are going to learn this that there are um a ton of women that are completely qualified to be major league general managers and general managers and head coaches and managers all across you know in different sports and all of that um hopefully uh we will start to see this over the next coming years and generations of, of sports because um it's a very very long time coming um and again i i just i I really think it's important to remember that sometimes when, you know, Rick Hahn is a good example of this, where um, he was afforded uh, quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of benefit of the doubt, um, despite you know overseeing a losing team for um, a decade. I mean, like a very long time. Uh, a very you know he he was afforded making um, you know trading Fernando Tatis. Uh, he was afforded 
uh, you know, just again, uh, many, he, he, he's done many, many questionable, made quite many questionable moves, but ultimately, you know, he's built a team that uh, is, is successful. And I hope that people um, look at not only Kim Ng, but also any, um, any hopefully uh, women and women of color that get hired in, in sports and in baseball. I hope that they get afforded the same um, patience from, from fans as, as their, uh, um, you know, average to below average male counterparts have, <laughs> have had uh, for a long time. Exactly. Exactly. She absolutely deserves uh, deserves that at least. And uh, yeah, to, to, um, to put one last note on this, like representation absolutely matters. And the fact that uh, Kim is a high level executive now, um, yeah, uh, girls are noticing that. Like. Uh, girls who um, may be considering a career in baseball are noticing that, uh, yeah, um, there are careers in professional sports for them. Um, it's not just um, an old white boys club <laughs> or, uh, yeah, it, it absolutely does matter. Uh, so to see, um, yeah, uh, like I said before, one of our own one of our own there like it, it makes me feel really good and it makes me feel even better to know that uh like women girls younger than me uh, now have this uh this fantastic example to 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 follow yeah and i i want to just have one quick tag on all of that which is to say that uh for you know white people listening or or white people out there that aren't listening um specifically white men uh speaking as a white man i'll just <laughs> do a little a little psa to people uh, when people different than you get opportunities, that does not uh, mean that you are getting less opportunities. That means that people who have not been given those opportunities um, are finally getting them. Uh, not because they are finally deserving, but because they've never been allowed to get those opportunities. Um, so again, uh, a lot of, uh, as we see, as hopefully we see more equality across different industries that have never um, sort of allowed that. Um, it, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's just important that people realize that, <laughs> that as that, that, uh, you know, for example, white privilege and all of that does not, you know, lessen as more people get opportunities. Um, it's just what we need to be seeing as far as getting to this, you know, ideal, idyllic place of everyone getting opportunities, not just uh, one type of person. So anyway, uh, that was a, that was a really nice story to come out yesterday. Amen, my friend. Amen. So we've got some more great news to discuss. Uh, more great White Sox news, mm -hmm. actually. Uh, so uh, my fate, or I, I don't know, like both of these two items are equally cool, in my opinion. Uh, but I'll, I'll talk about the one that I think is slightly less cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke, by the way. It, it, it's still very cool. Uh, so the hire of Ethan Katz as the new White Sox pitching coach to uh, replace the uh, the Cretaceous era uh, of pitching brought on to us by Don Cooper. So uh, Ethan Katz uh, was the assistant pitching coach of the San Francisco Giants. And before that, he was the pitching coach at Harvard-Westlake High School. And for those of you keeping score at home, Harvard-Westlake has produced three of perhaps uh, the most dynamic, awesome, uh, super cool, uh, I'm running out of ways to describe these guys. <laughs> 
pitchers in Major League Baseball, that one being Max Freed, who had a fantastic 2020 with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Jack Flaherty, uh, who uh, has been fantastic. These, uh, he, he had an okay year this year. I don't want to say he was fantastic, but still love you, Jack. Uh, and uh, Lucas Giolito, of course, uh, our very own Lucas Giolito, who uh, threw a no-hitter <laughs> for starters. Uh, yeah, so we are getting the pretty much the guy responsible for, for, for these three awesome pitchers. Uh, so, yeah, and to this day, uh, all three still return to Ethan Katz for guidance. Uh, I saw a really awesome Instagram video where uh, Jack Flaherty was working on increasing his spin using this homemade tool that looked like a baseball drilled into a wooden rod. And so Jack says in the video that uh, you're trying to minimize your work, you're trying to uh, get in as much work as you possibly can without actually throwing pitches. And so Katz came up with this way for Jack to do that. So uh, yeah, he kind of minim minimalize, minimalize, minim minimizes, dang, minimizes his workload uh, and uh, works on his spin. So uh, Sam, your thoughts on Ethan Katz? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really nice hire. It's a really refreshing hire. They, they basically, you know, they did, the, the Sox did good here, um, which is a good thing to say uh, here as we um, close out 2020. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think another thing is just the, the White Sox have a number of very talented already, you know, good pitchers, or I should say already showing, um, you know, already at the top of their game right now in their, not only in their bull, in their starting rotation, but in their bullpen. But they have a number of other pitchers that have very good stuff. But as we saw last year, whether it's um, Dylan Cease or Reynaldo Lopez or a number of the different bullpen arms, um, or Dane Dunning would be another name there, um, who have a lot of, you know, have, we see this stuff, we've seen it in very, um, you know, it could be an inning, it could be a couple pitches, it could be a game from time to time, but we have not seen that consistency, but they're all very young. And I think that, like you said, I mean, the, how, how cats actually not only, you know, not only can connect with the players, but really work on their uh, mechanics and, and really develop uh, alongside these young pitchers um, is going to be, is going to be really important. And I think too, we talked earlier about things that, that really, um, keep free agents away. I think that bringing in a mind like uh, Ethan Katz actually can be, you know, again, money normally would be the thing that, that's going to bring free agents in. Uh, but I think that having a guy like Katz and a guy and guys like Giolito and Flaherty and Freed to speak on his behalf and be able to really, really um, pump him up as far as the impact that he's had on them. People listen to that. I, I you know, I, I would imagine people listen to that in the game. So um yeah, it's an exciting, it's an exciting hire. Uh, and also it's just nice that we look, you know, you see to go from Don Cooper to Ethan Katz, um, you know, Don Cooper was with the White Sox for 95 years. And I think it's good to like, you know, looking at how long um, coaches stay with the White Sox, specifically um, Don Cooper did, and we'll just say pitching coaches. Uh, Ethan Katz is young and, uh, in, you know, if all goes well, can be here for a very long time. Um, so, and actually if all doesn't go well, probably we'll still be here for a very long time because it is the White Sox after all. Um, oh, and I don't know if you mentioned this before, but I think, uh, there is a guy named Lucas Giolito, as we've been talking about, as you did mention, who is going to be, uh, the White Sox will probably be seeking an extension and, uh, with him and, uh, or vice versa. And this probably doesn't hurt that either. So. We will see. 
Precisely, precisely. Um, I, I feel as if this probably increases the chances of uh, Giolito signing a nice extension. Uh, and who knows, maybe Flaherty and Freed will follow. I believe Flaherty is eligible for free agency in 2024. I haven't looked up Freed's numbers yet, but I know that they're still like relatively um, like low when it comes to their service time. But uh, yeah, maybe we will see those two in the near future. That would absolutely just blow my mind to see a <laughs> reunion of the yes. Harvard Westlake um, Cerberus that is uh, th that is those three pitchers. But uh, yeah, super exciting. Um, almost to the point where it's sort of puzzling where you have this contrast between a super young, exciting hire like Ethan Katz. Uh, Ethan Katz is like three years older than me, which also kind of blows my mind. Uh, and then you have Tony LaRusso, who is yeah. <laughs> uh, old enough to be my grandfather, uh, managing on the other side of the spectrum. And uh, who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe managers don't really matter, uh, which is basically the thing I keep trying to tell myself. But anyway, uh, I, I, I told myself I wouldn't talk about Tony LaRusa anymore. Let's go ahead and talk about the more awesome, awesome things. So um, I guess to, to wrap up the show, we've got the biggest piece of news that happened this week. Uh, yeah, uh, let's talk a little bit about Jose Abreu. Yeah. <laughs> MVP. MVP. It's, MVP. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, like, like you mentioned before, Sam, uh, the marketing department uh, is kind of uh, pushing towards uh, compartmentalization in the form of, I mean, yeah, sure, we might have this kaji old manager, but our players are cool. So, I mean, that might be the company line, but it's absolutely true. We should be excited about the players. And, uh, yeah, Jose Abreu. Uh, ran away with the M AL MVP uh, and not to detract from Jose for a brief moment, but Tim Anderson came in seventh place, I believe, which is also cool, also awesome. Uh, and I believe there was even a stretch of time where uh, Tim might've actually ran away with the award. Um, but of course he uh, was injured for a little bit and uh, kind of slumped near the end of the season, but still uh, a really exciting, great year for Timmy. But uh, yeah, it's really cool that Jose Abreu is the AL MVP. Uh, it's been 26 years since a White Sox player has uh, won the award. So last time was Frank Thomas in 1993 and 94. Uh, 94 was also a shortened season due to the strike. Uh, Dick Allen won in 1972, and Nellie Fox won it in 1959. So he joins a collective of really, really cool, awesome players. I keep saying cool and awesome. I need to, I need to have it's this true, when I, do. I mean, it's true. I mean, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong <laughs> regarding this. Uh, but yeah, um, we're probably going to see that 79 retired. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's really it's it was really fantastic news to see. It was um, you know he was the odds-on favorite, so it was not particularly unexpected. But still, to see a White Sox player win MVP will uh, always um, will always be somewhat surprising uh, and 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 exciting. Um, and I think for Abreu, um, you know, I've I've gone on record and said this uh, to you know nobody listening, but to whoever's listening uh, a number of times throughout the season when we were covering the team. Uh, and said that I was dead wrong about my expectations for Abreu this season. Um, he had shown signs 
over the last couple of seasons of re- regression. I mean, it's, it is what it is. He had shown signs of it. He was still, um, you know, producing, uh, you know, doing his job as a run producer, but there were just things that showed that maybe um, age was getting to him a little bit as happens to many, many, you know, uh, good and great players over time. Um, and he went the complete opposite direction. I mean, he came out of the gate and, uh, and it was, and he just kind of didn't stop this MVP campaign. Um, and it's, it, and I just, and I, and I think it's funny where, you know, a lot of people liked to call out, Oh, all the people that thought that Abreu was done or, or all, whatever. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that that was wrong and I'm, I've never been happier to be wrong. Sometimes it's very cool to be wrong about things exactly. like this. <laughs> In this industry, like there are some instances where it's very, it, it, it's good to be wrong. Yeah. So. Um, and yeah, so, and again, the, the video that came out when he, when it was announced and, and um, talking about his grandmother who, who had recently passed away, I think maybe a few weeks ago, a month ago, um, who he was very close with. Um, he's a very emotional player and it's so refreshing to see that for a number of reasons, but also um, this was a moment that, you know, showed why he's such a special person first and, uh, and then player as far as the impact that he's had on so many players on this team, he's referred to players on the team as almost like his children, I think, uh, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, That's so so endearing. Yeah. 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 Um, And it means a lot to him. Uh, Nobody, in sports, we hear all the time how nobody outworks this person or this person's, you know, first in, last out, whatever. But it's one thing to say that because I'm sure a lot of people fall into that camp or can call themselves that. But not only have we heard glowing things throughout his entire career um, about his work ethic, but he's not, but it, it doesn't always turn into res- to results and, and it turned into the ultimate result winning the MVP. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I'm right along with you. Yeah, um, it, it wasn't just uh, baseball heads that were saying that Jose Abreu was headed towards regression. Uh, yeah, a lot of stat models showed that. And so it, it made complete sense at the very beginning. And I think I, I went on record saying that Abreu was headed towards regression. Um, yeah, like you like you mentioned, I believe he led the league in RBI last season mm-hmm. too. Uh, but uh, yeah, we kind of saw some evidence that there might be some decline, but he completely turned everything on its head and just ran away with the award this year. Uh, so yeah, some really interesting things about Abreu, uh, what he did this year. Yeah, so uh, he had the best defensive year of his career with a defensive run saved of, uh, of a plus five. So that was also a confusing gold glove snub. I, I, I thought that like, watching some of the grabs he made all this year while covering the team um he should have been a shoe in but whatever yeah. that's a story for another day um so his uh, weighted runs created plus of the year was at 167 which many times uh, there were there were many times where it was well over 200 uh, which is absolutely insane uh yeah and then let's talk about a, a little bit about that 22 game hit streak uh, so he tied um, his hit, his uh, personal hit streak, I believe. And uh, yeah, just kind of seeing him explode off- offensively uh, through that stretch was pretty fantastic to see. So uh, after that 22 game hit streak, he went 0 for 4. And then the next game, he had five runs, two home runs, and seven RBI. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So just, I, just to show you that, yeah, the, the production like took a vacation for a day, but no, it, it came right back. Like he, he bounced back so well after, after that. So uh, yeah, just a, a testament to the amazing player that Jose Abreu uh, is. And I just want to uh, say real quick, I know we're, we were done talking about Tony La Russa, but this has to, this ties in, this ties into a, uh, to speaking to, to Jose Abreu for a moment where he had a comment, I think yesterday, I meant to, I meant to text you about this. I, you probably saw it as well, where he said that he had spoken to, to La Russa briefly and told him that he had his back and, and, and all of this. And I, and I read that and I thought, you know, here's Jose Abreu having to comment on something like this before the team comments on it, uh, which was again, uh, unavoidable. It didn't, it didn't have to be this way. Um, and for Abreu to kind of come out and, uh, and say, Oh, I've got, I've got Larus's back or, you know, I support whatever. Um, I, I, it speaks to, to, to Jose Abreu. It speaks to, again, his leadership and, and understanding that the people that the players on, you know, his fellow teammates listen to him and, um, and I think that you have a sign of, again, the leadership within a uh, major league clubhouse like that is, or in sports is, or in anything where uh, the situation, it might be, might be bad in a lot of ways, but where all you can do is sort of lead by example. And, and, and again, he doesn't deserve, he, he doesn't deserve this in the sense that he shouldn't have to um, cover for Tony La Russa, um, someone who has not yet commented other than to hang up on, on a reporter, I think it was Jeff Passon calling somebody from ESPN calling and saying, I have nothing to say. <laughs> so it shouldn't have to be Jose Abreu. You know, La Russa doesn't, doesn't deserve uh, Abreu's, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, backing or endorsement. Yeah. Exactly. But he gave it, you know, he gave it um, in that moment and who knows what the future holds. But I think that that's a, just another, that speaks again um, just to, Jose Abreu and the player and, and again, the person that he is as far as kind of steadying the waters and, and the kind of how he leads, we know he's not, he's never been the loudest. He's never been, you know, he's not the rah-rah guy, but he, uh, he kind of, he just leads by example. And we've seen the impact that that's had on a number of players uh, with the White Sox. So couldn't have happened to a better, could not have happened to a better, uh, better guy. Absolutely. Can Jose Abreu just, just be a player manager? Can he, can he just please manage? Truly, yeah. I think that, that absolutely does speak volumes. And to uh, kind of hear Jose um, saying that, yeah, he like will absolutely back Larusa up. Like, it, it's nice to hear, but on the other hand, it's kind of what he has to say. Yeah. On the, on the other hand, just mainly because I don't think – uh, Jose Abreu is going to come out and just basically say like, "Oh yeah, screw this guy. Um, <laughs> this is complete bullshit. Like, just I, I completely regret signing this extension. <laughs> Get me the hell away from this goddamn team." No, he, he, he's he's not. He can't. He's he's not going to say that. I'm not. I'm not going to say that. He can't say that. I feel as if even if Jose really did feel that way, he's not going to say that because that kind of. Uh, he's he's probably well aware of his leadership position within the team, and if he says that, then it's highly likely that the other players are going to follow suit. So I feel as if Jose was definitely kind of making the best of a, you know, not really ideal situation. But no, you're sure. absolutely right that a lot of the times, uh, players of color are often found to uh, kind of carry this 
weird sort of responsibility uh, for their white teammates, white, um, white managers in some cases. And the most recent example I can think of is uh, the 2018 All-Star Game where Josh Hader's um, really racist, sexist tweets were released. And then immediately um, uh, his, his, uh, his black teammates were interviewed, uh, I believe uh, Lorenzo Cain and Keon Broxton. And it shouldn't be up to them to, to vouch for, for that kind of behavior. It's definitely not their responsibility. So we're, we're definitely kind of seeing that trend where, uh, yeah, it, that, that shouldn't have to be the case. Um, yeah, it's a good comparison there. Cause uh, again, instead of going to the person who did the thing or said the thing um, and, and holding them responsible for, for comments on that. Uh, yeah, you're right. They, they go to the people to the victims of that or to the, you know, in, in the Josh Hader case, for example. Um, and again, these are things that you and I know, but I think it's important to just put out there, uh, you know, explaining, um, you know, it's not up to the oppressed to uh, explain to the uh, oppressors why uh, things are um, harmful or, or, you know, there's a lot of words for it, but that's just, uh, that, that could be, that's a whole nother conversation as well. But, in the case of uh, Abreu doing that, um, yeah, actually, the more I think about it, the more it frustrates me that Larusa's uh, Larusa has not had any comments on his second DUI uh, before Abreu had to come out and give an endorsement for it. So good on Abreu, good on Jose. Um, speaks a lot about him. Also speaks a lot about Larusa. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but again. Uh, we had a lot of positivity in this episode and, and rightfully so, because there was a lot of good stuff as well that's happened along with this um, sort of train ride to hell that the White Sox PR department has been on uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, but Jose Abreu, he's, he, he's repped the organization. Um, he's been, you know, absolutely stellar as far as a representative and a, an ambassador for the team in the worst points of this rebuild. And now during what should be the best points of the rebuild. And I think it's important to note that too. Um, he begged, he, he went on the record saying that he was not going to play anywhere else that he, you know, that does not happen in professional sports almost ever for um, negotiation reasons, but he didn't care. Um, he's, he loves the city. He loves the team. He loves the organization that gave him, you know, the opportunity that he earned. Um, and so, uh, yeah, this is an amazing uh, kind of all around, um, sports story and sports person. Yeah. He is, uh, going to be a lifelong white Sox, and I, I love him for that. Um, yeah, he's, he's just always been consistently one of my favorite players, uh, just mainly cause he's played with, uh, some pretty awful white Sox teams and yeah, he's stuck with the team, uh, through, through thick, through thin and, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I feel as if he deserves a ring. So hopefully that comes for him uh, within the next couple of years. Hopefully it comes for him next year. So uh, yeah, other than that, uh, Sam, you got anything else? No, I think that's, that's pretty much everything, you know, uh, who knows, you know, hopefully I think we'll, we'll be chatting with you guys again in a, in a couple of weeks, um, you know, maybe sooner, depending <laughs> on any other developments but uh but and, and thanks for everyone who's been you know listening to this point i know you and i have gotten some some good feedback from people and we appreciate anyone uh listening and reaching out about um what you think um we've got some cool things planned going forward as far as potential guests and potential 
fun little activities. So um, yeah, just stick with us here at uh, Northside, the Northside Sox Pod. Absolutely. Um, so for the Northside Sox Podcast, I'm Janice Scurrio. I'm Sam Sherman. Signing off. <laughs> <laughs>